Did you have a frost this weekend? I had a frost and it killed all my peppers. Yep. Oh, no. I just walked in. I just opened the chicken coop and I just walked back to come here. And I saw all the tailless plants, like her little seedlings, they all died. She's going to be so upset when she wakes yeah. up. Yeah. Because yeah. we, I was like, surely we've late, waited long enough to plant the garden. <laughs> Mid-May. <laughs> Apparently not. Yeah. I, I mean, we even covered it the other night and it just barely dipped below freezing. And actually, I'm not even sure if it made it all the way down below freezing, but it was. It snowed know, here over close. the weekend. It snowed. It snowed. Well, this oh. Saturday it was snowing on and off. Oh, crazy. Yeah. No, it was just cold here and then took off the cover on the gardens and all the peppers that I planted are now all wilty and gross looking. So, Do you think they'll come back? That's what I was wondering. I have no idea. I know nothing about gardening. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. It's all right. I'll plant something else there if they don't come back. Mm. So, what have you guys been up to this weekend? Hmm. I finally got to use the Shaper Origin. Oh, how'd you like it? How was that? Uh, I'm not sure why I waited so long. I've had it for <laughs> months, and then I neither. It's uh, I, basically I was I knew that there was going to be a big update, and I was like, this is probably going to be a pain in the butt. And I'm not sponsored by them. I paid for the tool, so this is this is all me actual experience. But it turned it on, and it basically it up it connected to the Wi-Fi, and then it updated by itself, and then. It's really user friendly. Uh, it's it actually is. There was not much of a learning curve. We just were able to just dive right in. You know, you can draw circles right on the machine and then cut circles out. And then we imported some artwork from Illustrator, and that worked out totally fine. And so I did this like argyle diamond pattern in my one desk in the shop, and it worked out really, really good. It's a uh, cool. Uh, the inlay didn't come out absolutely perfect uh, because sometimes when you're uh, uh, if you're you're routing out a pocket and then you hit a part where there is no wood, the tension goes away, and so sometimes it would kind of slip. And once it gets outside the line, it tries to pull up the bit. But if you move too fast, it can't pull up that bit fast enough. Mm. Um, and so there was like one little spot. So I know in the future, like just slow down and and let the machine do the work try not to force anything and um so it's it's a it's a handheld cnc and you control the speed so you you kind of rely on feel and sound for the right speeds and and feeds and everything and it worked out really good i see me using it a lot in the future the um Hmm. the one thing that i i kind of bought it and thought hey i can use this to add artwork to finish pieces like maybe i make a small box or whatever and i can route an inlay and i realized the problem with that is there's a camera on there and the camera has to see north of the machine and so if you you so it's really hard to route on a small box Uh, unless you make a station Unless you make a station where that box is level with the table surface, and then you can put on your your little domino. So um, I didn't realize that at first, but there's got to be... I'm sure people have come up with some quick, creative ways to make a a flat, level, larger surface. Yeah. One. The funny thing about the software is, and I'll talk about my Fusion experience where it's bottomless pit. I was always worried about... When before I jumped into fuse, uh, before I jumped into uh, sorry the shaper, I was afraid there was going to be, you know, like that dark edge of learning on the product. Like you're always afraid mm-hmm. that there's too much to learn, and it, like you're like I'm just going to stay comfortable in this little clearing. Like you're, like you're in the woods, <laughs> you're like there's so much more outside of this clearing that you think you need to know, but you're afraid. But once you jump in the shaper, you realize, oh wow, I'm like in a little room with all the information. I don't need to go outside this room. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, the learning yeah, is the yep. learning is is not expansive. It's really fast, and yeah. and you're like, oh, there's no, there's not like 17 more menus. There's only two menus, and this this is all I guess I do need <laughs> to know. So once I started digging into the software, I thought there was lots of menus and lots of choices and lots of offsets, <laughs> and it's not at all. No, it's all it's all right there, and yeah, yeah I. I I pretty much had the same feeling. I think that's what was holding me back. There was yeah, like that's, that was my experience. F- like I don't want to spend a full day trying to learn this machine. 
No, you spent five minutes going through the the four menu options that hmm. you have. Yeah, yeah. and I, I just want to say awesome. thank you to Aaron because Aaron Aaron has sort of taken the role of he's like the uh, he's like the Lewis and Clark of everything we bring in the shop. He's like, I'll figure this out and I'll let you know what happens <laughs> if I don't come back. Send <laughs> send help. So anything that comes in the door, Aaron jumps right on, starts reading all the manuals and stuff, and then he gives me the, the dummy lesson. It's like, don't touch this, flip that. And then if you do this, it might work. It might not. Just be careful. And then he leaves me alone with it. <laughs> it's worked out really That's awesome. It's worked out really good. And uh, so I, I was playing with this, this CNC machine. We got a spider CNC in the shop and an injection molder from APXS. I hope I'm saying that right. It's a bunch of initials is the name of the company. And I always mess it up. But it's a company that makes it a home injection molder. And... They sell a CNC machine with it too, and so they gave me the packages. They gave me the package of the machine, the two machines to to test drive for them, and and I really had to stand and deliver. It was kind of the same anxiety I had when I first got my Tormach, because I was like, I have to actually make something on this, and the anxiety level was very high, making sure that I didn't damage the machine. I think that was really that's really my biggest anxiety levels. I don't want to damage the machine. It's one of those things mm. where you're afraid the machine is mm. smarter than you, you know. And I don't want to break bits and I don't want to, they give you them, they, they provided me the mold and I don't want to mess the mold up because the molds are expensive. The mold blank, it's just a, it's a specifically machined chunk of aluminum. And uh, anyway, we had success. I, one of my big fears with machining and, and developing a product in Fusion and going to a, is machining on a small scale, machining tiny, tiny stuff. So every time I would come up with an idea. I'm like, oh, that's that's in the realm of too small for me to understand. And when I was working on the Tormach, I kept wanting to make like a stamp or a hot stamp or something. And then I'd be fearful that it was in the realm of too small for me to understand how to do the machining or how to lay out the CNC. So what is it about that, specifically the smallness of it that makes you think that? Is it like a some precision or like what's the fear there uh the yeah the not knowing the speeds the feeds and then being able to just uh, probably breaking gotcha. bits after bit after bit and that's really been my fear it's funny uh years ago caleb put out a video of him playing on the tormach where he broke like 10 bits and he just kept crashing remember on the, it was on the the make channel mm-hmm. and caleb craft put out and the bits just kept breaking and everybody thought that was me I'm like, no, 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 that's that's not my machine. That's not my <laughs> that looks like something that Jimmy would do. <laughs> yeah, because it was it was around the same timing that I got my machine. Uh, anyway, but the fear um, of breaking those bits is like you can't just go around to the corner store and go get new bits a lot of times. Like those are specialty that's, bits. That's a good point too. You know, and some of them are very expensive. That could be sixty, seventy, eighty dollars for a bit that you know has a like a like a one sixteenth ball nose on it. And the, one wrong move, click. Oh, like even when I made the, the uh, recently, I guess, I guess this was last summer, I made the license plate stamp where I had to put the word Carolina in the license plate stamp die. I used the 16th inch ball nose mill, which was brand new right out of the thing. I bought two of them. Halfway through the cut, I'm noticing that it wasn't leaving a good finish. The tip of the, the ball nose broke off. And I don't even know why my speeds and feeds were all super slow. So going in this weekend... I, I made the, I made, of course, like keeping with tradition. I think it's, now it's a superstition. Every time I use a new machine, I got to use my logo. So I made a, a logo of my, my keychain with my logo through it. So it goes from one side to the other. And to get between the letters, even after I modified it on, you'll see it in the video ultimately, after I modified it in Illustrator, I still had to use a, a 132nd bit. Otherwise, the thing would have been, if I blew up the logo so big that I could have used an eighth of an inch bit, it would have been. 10 inches, which is too big. That's how big the space needs to be between the letters, uh, between the stenciling font. So long story short is I, I used a 30, 132 bit that I had. I, I Over the summer, I bought a bunch of stuff from a machinist at a garage sale last summer. Finally got a chance to use these bits. And they're probably $70 each. I have five of them. I bought them with this big lot of stuff, all brand new. And the we I set up... We set up the cut paths and we cut it in plastic and it worked great. And so then we set up the aluminum and right away we broke the eighth inch clearing bit. It bought, it it snarled up the machine once, snarled up the machine twice. Each time we're lowering the feed, the speeds and everything. And then the third time it broke the bit. So the fourth time we have the bit inside the collet with just about 0.15 sticking out of the collet because the bit snapped in half. 
And so now this is the eighth inch clearing bit. So we were able to run the clearing bit super slow. It's the software said it would have been a 10 minute cut. We made it like a 20 minute cut. And then when mm. I, now I'm super nervous. I'm about to put the 132 in there. I put the 132 bit in there and we were just about to run it. And I ran the sliders all down the overrides on the machine. You could slide slow with the feeds and speeds. We sped it up and then I slowed the feed. So it, what was said on the computer is 16 hour cut turned into a 30 hour cut. So we let the machine run for 30 hours and we just kept flooding it with oil. I'd leave and come back and the little pocket of oil would now be like mud because it's full of granules from the, the shavings from the cut, squirt some new oil in there, leave, come back four or five hours later. So between me and Aaron, we kept kind of like babying the machine for 30 hours. My friends come by and it's like, do not kick that plug. If you kick that plug out. <laughs> Stay <really> away. <laughs> Is that the spider that you're talking about? Running it on the spider. So ultimately yeah, I'm looking it, at it. And it's it looks like it's crazy rigid, like the rails on there. So this is made for cutting yeah. metal. This is not not like a wood CNC, right? Yeah, this is made. They sell it so that you could use this machine to make the molds for the injection molders. So they basically sell you a complete gotcha. package, and uh, it doesn't have a big Z height, but it certainly can mill quite a bunch of things. You know, you got a lot of you got you got a lot of options. And uh, anyway, it worked out good. We were able to run the test molds. I did a little bit of manual milling on it afterwards. I had to put the gate in it, which is the sprue where the, the plastic will flow. So I just put a little quarter inch cut in it and uh, we were able to get test shots out. And I made the joke draft. Everyone keeps talking about draft. There's no draft. There's no draft. I'm going down. Now I'm getting super technical. I'm going down a hundred thousands deep. And the only bits I have with a draft angle on them are 60 degrees. So my my name is going to look like an ice cube tray. So I don't have a bit with like a 10 degree draft on the side. So I just did it without the draft saying, I'll figure it out. I'll pull it out. For me, the learning was really the seeing, getting, you know, baby steps. Like people are telling me, oh, you, you got to look at the entire picture. And me, my learning is I'm just going to look at this part of it. I'm going to ignore that part. I know I need to know, but for now, I'm just going to stick to this part. Because once I get through this part of the, the journey, then it's easy for me to get to the next part of the journey. When I start thinking of all of it at once, I start getting a little panicky and it makes me want to just go do woodwork. So that's why. Yeah, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Learn too much stuff at one time. So, yeah. I mean, I was sharing my stories on Instagram and right away, everyone's like, you need a draft on it. Like, So half the emails are, what is a draft? And the other half of the emails are, you need a draft. So... For people that heard those stories, a draft is basically when you pop an ice cube. Uh, a good example is how when you pop an ice cube out of a, a traditional ice cube tray, it's tapered because it's easier to pop out of that tapered thing. The sides of the wall have a draft on it. Now, the new ice cube trays that are made out of silicone, you could pop out a perfect cube because the mold gives because it's silicone. I have We have the silicone ice cube trays that give you a perfect cube. That's the difference. You couldn't pop a perfect cube out of a mold with, with simplicity. So they, you give it a little taper, two or three or four degree taper. So that was my problem. My mold was so small. If I would have run a ball nose end mill to do like a draft cut from fusion, it would have taken another 40 hours. You know, if I ran like a 132 ball nose end mill to run a draft cut. Anyway, now I'm sounding like a professional. <laughs> anyway, learning, learning, Nerd. learning. And, uh, then I dug in the fusion over the weekend, learning how to, I, re, I drew my bench. People always say, how come you never offer plans? Because I, I don't have any reliable person to draw them. That's within my vicinity. And so now after this weekend learning, I feel I could probably pretty much draw mostly anything. You know, I can get 90% through pretty much anything now after this learning this week with learning fusion for SARS cutting paths. And then I learned joints and handles and joints and assemblies I learned this weekend. So I was able to draw my bench. So my bench to chair, table to table to bench. So it was a, it was a really good week. I really feel like I finally, like I've got to the top of the mountain top of learning for fusion. Doesn't mean I know everything, but now I'm comfortable being able to learn everything. Now I, I'm getting better at being able to search what I need to know and what I want to figure out. I could Google search and then fig, figure out an answer, and the answer means something to me. So it's it's that clarity. Like Bob, you said you were learning Italian. I don't know if you're still on it, but that point where you begin to yep. realize, oh wow, I understand what that person's saying. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Now. There was a point. There was a point of to mirror what you're saying there. There was a point about maybe three months ago or something. I have a friend who's Italian and she posts in Italian on Facebook and stuff all the time. 
And I was flipping through the feed, and I saw one of her comments and read it and didn't think about it and moved on. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. Like, I just read Italian, like, without even thinking about it. And granted, it was a super simple sentence, right. like, but, yeah, I'm with you. Like, there's a point where you start to really naturally understand things in a way that you didn't before. And, yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, so that was my week. Just a lot of fusion and, and milling. And uh, this week we're going to tweak the mold, and I'm going to... By the time this airs, I will have published that video of me discussing it. It'll be more of a vlog style video because just to show CNC and not explain what I learned and what I'm doing is is kind of a a disservice. So I really got to talk it through. I've been uh, talking to that company as well about that injection molding machine, and so we'll I'll probably get the same setup that you have. Mm-hmm. And I I kind of ran into the same thing. It's like there's a bunch of cool machines to do cool things in that video but like there's not a whole lot to see and so I've kind of struggled with how do you make a video out of that mm-hmm. and make it like what's the valuable part there what's the thing that would make somebody interested to see it and walk away from it with something mm-hmm. you know actionable or interesting or something yeah so I'm looking forward to seeing what you did so I can rip it off yeah yeah no well I talked about <laughs> like kidding. the you know the, the minutiae of the end mill and I had a, a breakthrough and, and I shared it on Instagram and a lot of people said, that's a great idea. I've done that as well. Uh, and then some people said, wow, what a great idea. I will do that as well. Where I just drew the end mill in Illustrator. I drew a one thirty second circle and I passed it through and around my design to make sure it fits everywhere. Because sometimes you run a tool path, you pick a tool and then you look at the, the finished results and the assimilation and you have uncut parts between small areas. And that's because programming knows not to put the bit where it can't fit and mm-hmm. and so anyway so that was that was another bit of a breakthrough oh and then i mentioned this before we started my biggest breakthrough this week with fusion my biggest was that i realized i can draw an illustrator where i'm super comfortable for 25 years i can draw an illustrator and export a dxf file and bring that into fusion and build my drawing that way that's oh it was always a big problem for me just not being able to be comfortable with the drawing palette Infusion and and now I'm getting more comfortable with it. I'm beginning to realize how to use it. But that was always the hang up was how to start a drawing. Infusion is working inside that drawing palette, which I'm just not comfortable with, and it's just a matter of practice. But this weekend, realizing I could just draw whatever I want in Illustrator the way I always do, and then just bring it into Fusion as a DXF import, and then build up off of that. So. You know, so that was the answer was in front of me the whole time. Yeah, that's cool. It's funny because I've been using Illustrator since I was in college, but I don't use it uh, really consistently. And so the drawing tools have always been something like I can get kind of close to what I want, but it like I'm never there enough to really get like a fine control over it. Uh, mainly getting curves to work the way I want. It's like a lot of trial and error mm-hmm. to get a curve to be what I expect it to be. Yeah, I'm pretty good. The way I'm, the handles work and stuff. Yeah, I'm pretty good with that. I mean, I've just gotten better because I've practiced it so much. And then I've also spent a lot of time photographing type, like making signs. So you photograph type because it's somebody's logo and then you got to redraw over it to cre- mm-hmm. come up with a vector yeah. file. So that's good practice. It's like importing a photograph and drawing a layer over it. So you end up with vectors that you could then make cut paths on. So I find that the trick is once you draw, like quickly draw those curves and don't worry about getting it on the line, just go ahead and close your path and then you can go back. And it's yeah. easier to mm. manipulate those those curves 100%. once you have a closed path. Yeah, I've been using Illustrator since college as well, which is 99 and 2000. And I would say I'm fairly decent and know my way around Illustrator, but I still use the same tools that I used 20 years ago. And there's a bunch of new tools that I have no yeah. idea what they do. I just ignore them. Yeah. <laughs> same way. That's me in Photoshop. Yeah. That's like Photoshop. I used to know these three things. I could select things, I could erase <laughs> things. And now there's like super great healing brush that can just take whatever's in your brain and put it on the screen. And it like, actually, the healing brush works really good. <laughs> Yeah, the healing brush uh, yeah. works good. <laughs> I get asked every once in a while, what do you use to make your plans? And I don't have a simple answer for that. I'm like, well, I draw things up in Fusion 360, and then I illustrate things in Adobe Illustrator. If there's photographs, I will manipulate and crop them and color correct them in Photoshop, and then everything is laid out in Adobe InDesign. And they're like, you should make a video on that. And I'm like, that would that's a no, no way. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, okay, we get the exact same thing, and we have the exact same answer. Um, Forby has always made our plans, and he does a great job, and I think they look fantastic, and he lays them out really well and everything. And so, but he's always done it. Like, we finish a fusion model, one of us, and we'll just give it to Forby, and then, like, magically, beautiful plans come out. <laughs> and so, at the beginning of this year, we went on our little uh, kind of retreat, our company retreat, and we got a cabin, and we just, like, you know, hung out and talked about future stuff and came up with cool ideas. And one of the things was, let's go through some of our processes, like making plans and explain the whole thing so everybody knows exactly how it works and maybe we can find ways to make it better. So Forby jumps in to like, we what his process, I can't even explain it all, but basically takes a fusion model, he brings it into Blender. He has all of these custom built Python scripts and all this stuff in Blender, which mm. segments it into different pieces, renders it in certain ways, labels certain things, lays them all out into multiple steps. It's like this crazy big thing, and he's explaining all of this to it. And we're like, just kind of, yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. And then <laughs> so it ends up outputting all these images in like the folders that are named correctly in the right order so that he can have them auto-filled into these templates that he's built in InDesign. And <laughs> we're just kind of ended the whole thing like, cool, you just keep doing that. And we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll make some fusion files. <laughs> like, we, we can't help there. We can't do anything. He built this whole beautiful system that does all this stuff, which is awesome. And that's what 4B does. But it was so cool. But when people ask me how we make our plans, I'm like, man, I just... I can't explain it. Like I can't explain it because I don't actually understand it all, but also I can't explain it because it wouldn't do anybody good, any good unless they had the exact same kind of flow of technology that is in place. And most of that is custom written by Forby. <laughs> so <laughs> we're not doing that, but yeah, I'm with you. So uh, speaking of fusion, I, uh, I was hesitant to bring this up because I usually am hesitant to talk about stuff that we are going to do. I like to just drop things when we're when it's done. But I have been working for the past several weeks on, um, well, all of us have been, but the thing that I've been spending the most of my time on is shooting a Fusion 360 course. So we're in the process of building out a an online course for Fusion for for the people who like don't have any experience at all, not coming at it with you know modeling experience or anything else. So we're trying to build a thing there um, that will start somebody from the very beginning and walk through all of it, basically prepping a model um, in a way that you could send it to 4B. Or you, I mean, don't send your models to 4B, but that you could <laughs> send it to someone to make plans and get a fully fleshed out model that's parametric so that it can be easily modified with parameters because uh, I think that's that was the biggest thing for me about Fusion that like, really was the light bulb moment that made me switch from SketchUp and from using anything else. And explain that for for that people that don't of, know what that is. Sure. Uh, so Fusion has a it's parametric modeling, meaning that a lot of the things anything you do in Fusion can be tied to a parameter, which is a, a value. So when you're starting out your model, you can create a list of parameters and name them so like you could say one could be called material thickness and then you put in the value for that so you put in three quarters of an inch and then you build your model with that in mind so every time you go to make a thickness of a piece of material you put in the parameter name instead of the number and so you build your model all throughout the whole thing and then you get to the end of it and you realize you want to make it out of half inch plywood instead of three quarter inch plywood all you have to do is go back and change if you've built it correctly all you have to do is change the value of the parameter to half inch instead of three quarter inch and your model will update. It will rebuild itself. And it is unbelievable when you've done an entire model that way and you have every or as many possible definitions of things built as parameters. It's so cool because you're just like, well, I need uh, four shelves instead of five. Well, I was working on something the other day and I wanted to be able to build shelves that would uh, not just equally space in an opening, but would I want a shelf every X inches. And so I put in a parameter that would calculate how big the space was, how many shelves it needed to fill that space evenly with, you know, 10 inches in between the shelves. And it will, so if you make the whole thing taller, it will add more shelves to fill the space. Like, that's crazy. 
Mm-hmm. You don't have to do You just have to change a number. And I think most people who use Fusion don't realize that it's that powerful, that it can do stuff for you. You could draw. Modifying yeah, your models. You could draw a easier, full, a full you know? drawing. Like, for instance, if you draw a table with four legs, and if you set your drawings up correctly, you can go look at it and go, you know what? Those legs are too fat. You can go back and adjust the drawing or at least the one sketch. If all four legs are tied together through bodies, you could adjust mm-hmm. one of them and all four of them will update when you're further down the road. Whereas uh, other programs, like I know Illustrator doesn't have that. If you go into Illustrator, you start doing, you realize, oh, you basically just copy and paste a whole new one and just redraw it. Keep that first one as reference and redraw it again. But with Fusion... You can go back and modify your sketch, and it'll update everything instantly. So you're like, oh, I, you know yeah. what? I don't like the way those legs look. Let me make them fat again. You go back just to sketch. Or obviously, you could undo, but you could add different details to stuff. And every, if you have a model that has like 75 of the same object, as long as they're all parented to the first one you made, adjust that one, and all 75 will change. It's incredible. It's also the thing that makes it a little bit more difficult to learn because not because so that updates correctly you have to learn to x say this part needs to connect to this part at this point and this part needs to be a distance from this part based on on this so you, you do when bob says you have to build it correctly you really have to pay attention to what you're doing and well it's of funny drawing willy-nilly like I, I know now to parent things like there's going to be multiples. I know now just from experience. And then the other day, Taylor's drawing a new piece of furniture in, in fusion. And she's like, how can I adjust this? And so I sit down, I'm like, Oh wait, you drew five individual bodies. Like you got to delete these, make one and make them the same. And so it was that moment where I'm like, Oh, that's easy. And I sat down, I'm like, Oh wait, she doesn't know enough to make them the same. She does now, mm. but you know, she's still learning as well. And, uh, but I remember being I just at picture that Saturday point. Night Live. Move. What's funny between us is that I'm better at fusion and editing. She's better at Photoshop and Illustrator. So the two of us are like, uh, hey, what if I do a, uh, how do I XYZ PDQ? And she's like, get out of the way. Let me. I'm like, just tell it to me. No, no, you got to move. I'm like, I, I, I know the key commands. I don't know. I just got to do it. But just tell it to me. And I do the same exact thing to her. She's like, how do I make a crossfade? I'm like, get out of the way. Let me see. Just tell it to me. So. <laughs> it's always the same. <laughs> move. Yeah. So... <laughs> The uh, the fusion thing, I think, like building it. You know, you're talking about building it correctly, Dave. I, that is really about planning. And so, like our course, we're trying to talk through, spend the majority of the time on the planning phase, on preparing your information, preparing to do the sketch. And if you're not familiar with fusion, what we're talking about here, the sketch is like a two dimensional blueprint. And then you use that to make a three-dimensional object. So if you spend your time making your sketch correctly and taking advantage of the parameters of, that you can set up, then everything downstream from that becomes flexible. You know, once you, once you set your time, spend your time in the sketch phase. And so in our course, we're trying really hard to like focus on that, make sure that people understand that process and learn to spend the time there so that it can be right, so that it can be flexible. And so anyway, that's what I've been working on since we're talking about Fusion. And I, for people asking, I don't know when that's going to be out. We're working on it as fast as we can, and we will start doing signups and stuff for it as soon as it's like close to ready. But um, I'm pretty excited about it. We That's something we've been talking about doing for about, I don't know, nine months or maybe longer than that. And we did a little test um, class at WorkbenchCon, Josh and I went through, we had 30 minutes. And so we did like a, okay, we're not taking questions until the very end. Just listen. And we just like <laughs> dumped a ton of information at people just to get them excited about it to, so they could see what was possible. And a lot of people were really excited after that, you know, wanting to know the actual information. Like we didn't actually teach a lot of stuff. We just wanted to show this is what we want to be able to present in a course. Got a really good reaction from it. So that was kind of the final, the impetus for us to finally get around to doing this and start making the course. So that's what we've been working on. The guys are making awesome graphics for it and trying to break it out into really logical uh, small steps so that somebody could watch in little pieces and not be overwhelmed with too much information at one time. And 
So, yeah. I do want to say... Mainly what I've been up to for the past couple weeks. <laughs> you, uh, so the audience may see me promoting somebody else's Fusion 360 course. Our podcast editor, Brandon, he is also developing one. And it just so happens mm-hmm. you guys are both developing one at the same time. And it sounds like you're taking two different approaches. So hopefully, it, they're, I don't think they'll be stepping on each other. So, um, But I did I did tell him I would I would help promote his his course yeah and so he's a friend of all of ours he edits a podcast he edits stuff for i like to make stuff as well um and so when we finally got to this he sent it over an email with his course and he was like hey can you guys check this out and i was like oh no we're gonna be like doing similar things and i looked at his course a little bit i didn't want to like accidentally uh mimic it so i haven't gone through the whole thing but it's really good brandon's great He's really good at what he does, and his course is going to be high quality. And I must say, so. from this personal experience over this week, you can't get enough of enough different opinions when you learn fusion. Absolutely. <laughs> so, that's a good point. There isn't one. There isn't one avenue that's going to give you all the answers because everybody's per, fusion is so deep. It is literally everybody that uses it. It's like a different personality. It's like you, the way you utilize the tools, the way you dig into a drawing, the way you set up your parametrics. It's it's personal preference and you develop that by meeting so many different teachers. That's a good point. One of the things that we point out in, in our course, and I think it speaks to what you just said is that like you can fusion is flexible enough that you, you can come at it from any direction. So like if you are an additive person, if you think about things from a building, you know, adding multiple pieces of wood up to get a shape, you can build it that way. If you are a, a turner, you can build profiles and then make your 3D objects that way. If you're a subtractive person, if you're used to milling, you can start with a block of material and take away to get, you know, there's all different ways to get to the same shape from any different direction. And part of that is, like you're saying, Jimmy, is that everybody who comes at it from one of those directions has their own path to get there, has their own set of tools, has their own set of like kind of things that are important to be able to to get what they want out of it. And so, yeah, depending on who you're talking to, you're going to get really different directions that all end in the same place. And to me, that says a whole lot about the software because I've used a lot of 3D modeling software in my years. I've used a lot of software in general, and a lot of it is built to force you down a path because that's easiest for the developers to develop for. <laughs> like when we made software, you don't want people like going off in little branches and tunnels and trying to figure out how to do stuff on their own. You want to give them the best way to narrow the focus so that you don't have to be like a support person for too many different types of things. You want to force people down a path. And so the fact that Fusion can do so many different things and still be effective, you know, in all of them, it it says a lot about it. A lot of people will ask us why we use Fusion instead of SketchUp or whatever, and honestly, that's one of the big reasons right there. So, anyway, I never was able to make any sense out of uh, out of uh, sorry out of uh, SketchUp. I tried it so many times, and I see people drawing it like they draw them with a pencil. And for me, like April is so good at SketchUp, and I just anyway, that's it. I'll never go back to SketchUp because I just don't need to. But I always had a difficult time yeah. with it. So. Well, I mean, there's pros and cons to every piece of software for sure. It's not like Fusion's not perfect. It's not going to solve everything for everybody. But yeah. uh, you know, for us, it was the it most sense, especially once I learned the par- parametric stuff. Because before that, I was using SketchUp, and I'm not trying to badmouth SketchUp at all. It's a great piece of software. It's not free anymore. It's kind of lame. But it, the thing that I had a problem with was I built my the model for my. Um, arcade machine in SketchUp and I built it and finished it and then was like oh I wish I could change something I don't even remember what the thing was that I wanted to change I wanted to go back and change something about it and I realized that the way it was built was if I move a piece everything that's touching that piece or everything that is reliant on that piece has to be individually moved too granted that could have changed at some point since then but that was super frustrating because at that point, it was like, well, I could just start over and build it in a different way, or I can take the time to precisely move every piece a certain amount to a thing and do the, you know. And I was just like, man, that seems like the wrong way to go for what I was doing. And then when I found out that 
Fusion could handle that problem for me and make things flexible so that instead of moving pieces and all of their connected pieces, I could just type in a number and have it do its thing correctly. I'm like, whoa, yeah, that's that's where I want to be. So that was the big moment for me why I switched. But that's me, not everybody else. Anyway, that's where I've been spending most of my time past couple weeks is building, uh, is working on the course. All of us are working on it pretty hard, trying to get that moved ahead. Um, and then I was out at the farm yesterday and I really want to build something out there. Like, I don't know what, not sure yet. I want to do the A-frame, but that's a ways off. I want to build some sort of a outdoor kitchen bathroom building thing. That's still a ways off. I don't know. I want to build a bridge, a deck, but I want to get out there and do something because it's so pretty right now. It's like springtime. Everything is full of leaves and... It looks like a different place than it... (laughs) No, we don't have snow. (laughs) But it looks like a totally different place than it did just a couple of weeks ago. And like now I want to go out there and build something. So trying to figure out what that is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. David, what have you been doing? Did you talk about what you've been doing? Uh, I talked about the the Shaper shaper a little bit, yeah. And then I think this week... um, um, We'll we'll, we'll hit our topic here in a second. Um... One of the cool things about me collecting books is having hundreds of books. If I want to explore something new, I can just pull out a few books off the shelf. And I've got four different books on working with plastics that I've really never kind of flipped through. But this week I want to do some some bending and make maybe make uh, a getting started in plastics or maybe making a bendy shelf thing. I haven't decided what we're going to make, but I know we're going to work with plastics this week. So I pulled off a bunch of books and um, I might make my own sort of heating element out of some DIY stuff and, and just make a video out of that. So that's uh, it's, it's, it's one of the great things that have in this big library here. I can just like, I'm going to do this. And then I just pull out four books and they're just right there ready, ready to go and I happen to trust books more than I trust YouTube videos. Um, I'm saying this as a YouTube video maker, but there's something about a book that uh, it takes a long time to make, and you kind of assume that the author is an expert on there. So I rely on books quite a bit. Uh, what did you pick geographic for your go kart? Remember, you put up a little, you put up a uh, survey. Yeah, so I C? went with uh, I went with C. I went with yeah, C. Yes, of course. Overwhelmingly, people chose C, and I agree. Uh, if if you have no idea what I'm talking about on Twitter and Instagram, I posted three side panel graphics for my go kart. They're similar, and I'm like, hey, what does everybody like? And most people went with C. And uh, I think they're right. And so then I tried to do a, I tried to take C and do a modified version of C. And then, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. C, C, C. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was... No C. Uh, that's, and that's the benefit of having um, an audience is like, hey, I've been staring at this for hours for a few days, getting a bunch of eyeballs on there to help me go down the right mm-hmm. direction is, is useful. Although design by committee is never... Is rarely a good yeah. idea. <laughs> that sounds like the worst thing in the world to me. <laughs> hey, everybody, what's your opinion on my color palette? Nope. Right, right. right. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. So, our topic. We do have a topic. We've got like five minutes to talk about a topic. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be on another podcast this week called Cool Tools, and they ask you to pick four tools, your four favorite tools, and to talk about them. And I had, um, I, I, I've got four tools listed. But it was, it wasn't just, it wasn't an easy list to come up with. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't have any, I'm not like an Adam Savage. I don't have a connection with my tools. And I have a connection with the design process and, and just coming up with, with ideas. The tools, even though I've got a bunch of cool tools, they don't really mean anything to me. So it was a little difficult coming up with, with four tools. But I thought, hey, let's talk about our favorite tools or at least favorite tools today. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. When I did Cool Tools, I did Cool Tools about a year ago, or maybe a lot, I don't remember. I was in my apartment, so it was at least three years ago. But I talked about having the light-up hat, which is something I wore constantly with like a little light in the brim of my hat. It was one of my tools, I remember. And since then, I've graduated to, I don't want to give a brand name out, but I do have a cool little flashlight 
And the only reason I want to give a brand name out is because I quoted them a video and then they never got back to me. So now they're not getting anything from me. So... (laughs) Uh, anyway, so it's a cool little... It's That'll like, show them. Yeah, I'll show those. Anyway, it's just a little flashlight. And I've gone through several different types of flashlights that clip on my hat. And a flashlight that's not so heavy that it pulls your brim down, but you can clip it onto the hat. And it's great because I'm in the country and there's no street lights. And everywhere I go, I don't have enough light to even just rummage through a bag or go in the chicken coop or unlock the door. or So it's it's absolutely imperative. So... This company that will continue to be unnamed, I ended up buying three flashlights so I could always have one on charge. I, As far as flashlights go now, I will absolutely never, ever again buy a flashlight that won't take a charge because that has always been the most inconvenient thing for me. It's like, oh, I got a flashlight in my pocket. Oh, needs two double A's. When I was in the city, there's bodegas and delis everywhere. You could always just stop in and get it. But now that I'm up here, there's no way to get anything past eight o'clock. So... I absolutely will no longer ever buy a flashlight that will not take a USB charge or some sort of like little pedestal charger. And so I have three of these same flashlights. There's always one on the charger. If I'm going in and out of the kitchen, it's always right by the little charging station where the phones are. So lately that's been my thing. And like the minute I don't feel it on my hat or I take it off sometimes, like I took it off to do the podcast so I don't look like a dork. Uh, I just <laughs> took it on and put it back up. But when the minute I'm like, where's my flashlight? You still look like a dork. <laughs> where's my flashlight? I don't know where it is. I'm like, <gasps> I just lost my $60 flashlight. So anyway, I, I think a flash having a good flashlight is a really good thing. And, and I joke about not saying the name, but I have like 20 different brands. I'm always trying them. There's a couple of us out there that are real flashlight nerds. I have a, um, I think it was from my grandparents, like this flashlight that goes in your car and it doesn't use batteries. You shake it to build up a charge. Uh, <laughs> have you ever played with one? Like the shake weight. Hardly any light comes. Yeah. Hardly any light comes out of it at all. You'll shake it for like 10 minutes and like, oh yeah. And um, it's kind of a useless tool. Mr. Wizard's flashlight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, if, I mean, you know, you were talking about like some of your favorite things are design process and things like that. When I was on that show, one of the things I talked about was Airtable, which is a piece of software that we use. And the reason it was a... It's basically like an online spreadsheet. So it's a browser-based spreadsheet, which, you know, you could use Google Docs or something like that for that portion of it. But you can have multiple sheets um, that can reference each other. And so the the reason that was interesting to me and the reason we use it a lot is because, you know, I, I did software development for a long time and I was I was creating databases and working with relational databases where you have two different tables of data and they can relate to each other. So you could have a field in one that is populated by content in the other. So you could have like a list of users and then those users could end up in a field. So you could assign things to users, stuff like that. Anyway, so this is like a, a free web-based way to build out a really simple database that has a lot of flexibility. And we use it for um, all of our content scheduling and keeping track of uh, sponsors and project ideas and a lot of stuff like that. So we've been using Airtable for a few years now, and it is a tool. It's not a physical tool, a shop tool, but it is something we rely on pretty heavily in so I think stuff like that, you know, that is a perfectly good answer for like a favorite tool. If it I'd agree helps to that. you do your job better, then I see it as a, mm-hmm. a tool. I agree mm-hmm. to that for sure. One of my favorite tools is screen grab. Constantly, constantly screen screen. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's my that's my uh, error tool. Screen grab, screen and then you grab. email it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I do do that. No, but I've talked about I it know. before. But I screen grab. Like some, I'm, I'll be communicating with somebody about a part or a nice screen grab. I take a picture of it. Then I, I could even do it in the photo sh- photo app. I know that. But if I have a reference photo already existing, I could screen grab that photo, draw on it, and then send it to my communicator person. Oh, that's great. Cool. I love that idea. Okay, go for it. And then it's a really great tool to just break down communication. So. Screen yeah. grab with I the use- Google function. I probably use a tool like Evernote um, as much as you use screen grab. I just like, I just need to, I need to write something down and my phone is always on me. So I'm, I constantly have, man, my Evernote, if 
if somebody ever ever went through it, like, what is wrong with this dude? But there would just be like hundreds of notes and just like a sentence that doesn't make sense. But because I'm just talking into my phone, I just want to remember this this stupid little idea. But it's uh, just having that phone on me at all times. It doesn't have to be Evernote. It could be any. It could be a voice recording app. But um, and just you know, being able to capture an idea or a thought instantly. You know what's really funny? It's when I use the Notes app. Uh, iPhone has a, a Notes app. You could type in just a, anything you're thinking of, or you could type in a note. I it's it, I feel like I've got something accomplished because they have the letterpress look to it. You type in something, <laughs> and then I'll screen grab like a list of things, and I look at it. I'm like. Wow, that looks beautiful because the way the graphic is, it looks like a letter pressed into like a like a piece of linen cardboard. And that's just the way the mm-hmm. graphic is set up. So you type in a sentence mm-hmm. and then you look at You see a lot of, if you don't have an iPhone, a lot of people don't have an iPhone. But when you notice there's a lot of Instagrammers that will put up like little inspirational quotes, they type them themselves in that note app and then they screen grab it and post it. And then it has this beautiful like graphic quality to it just that's just how they set it up. You know, it's obviously a lot of conscious decision making has gone into anything Apple does. And it's just a beautiful look. So you write down a list and you're like, ah, okay, that part is done. That looks beautiful. And then you're like, oh, now I gotta go through the list and do it. But it gives you a sense of accomplishment just because of the graphic, the on screen graphic of it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what else? Well, what else? Dave, you go. Well, I, uh, okay. I got a new um, staple gun recently. Staple, this is kind of dumb. It was a sponsored thing. They paid us, and then they sent us a bunch of staple guns to try out. I've always hated staple guns because they, like, the amount of pressure that you have to put in squeezing the back of your palm to get the thing to go in, but you need to put force on the front of your hand. Yeah. And it's just always seemed really weird. And so Arrow sent us some different staplers, and they have a, an electronic one, a battery-powered one, that is dope. Like, it's a trigger. You don't have to force it. You don't have to... Pu- I mean, you have to push on it a little bit, obviously, because you don't want it to kick back, but, like... I got my Milwaukee it, one. It does you, the same thing. I love it. Man, it's so cool. Just having... And I'm not, like, trying to promote the brand or anything, but just having a non-super basic mechanical one, because they also sent us a pneumatic one, and it's even better, because other than that you have to have it hooked up to a compressor, but good grief, like... I would actually use a staple gun using one of those instead of trying to find any other way to do something than use a staple gun. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And that's been one of my newest things is like now I'm looking for ways to use it. The other night I took it up and um, we have these these panels in our boys' room on the backside of the closet and I put them in with little um, glazer points so that I could take them out. And the kids keep knocking them out because I just like push on them or whatever. And I just went down and grabbed that staple gun came up and just stapled it into the frame. I'm like, they're never going to take these out again. You know, I'm not worried about it. So I just stapled it in place and it was done. It was awesome. I have one of their glue guns. So it looks like a futuristic space gun and it works great. Like I've probably got three or four yeah. glue guns and this one is by far the, the, the best one. And it was from a sponsorship that I did with them a while ago. So I have not used their, their, their cool staple gun. So yeah, I'll have to check that out. Would that work? Yeah. Do you think uh, um, a staple gun would work for if you're building picture frames and you don't reinforce the miters to st- staple the back corners? Do you think that'd be a good idea? Wouldn't hurt. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't help. It wouldn't help. You know, if like a one of those wavy line metal sheets would put in it's not going to do the same thing that that would do but i mean it's not going to hurt your table one thing i when i was a kid making frames and you know whenever i've I've never been like a frame maker per se but i've made frames ever since i was a little kid and this is the mistake i made every time and now i don't do it you make you glue a frame up together you put a couple of nails in the corner and then for insurance you staple the back of the seam with a couple staples and the staple gun breaks the joint so now you have a frame <laughs> that is held together yeah. in a frame shape and every one of your 45 degrees is broken. The glue joint is broken because you whacked it with a stapler from the back thinking you were helping. There you go. So yeah. that's my experience. So don't do that. So don't do that. Got it. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've made so many picture frames and every time I'm like, you know what? I need a dedicated jig for the glue up. I have the band clamps and I've used tape and... And every time I'm like, this would be so much easier if I had a dedicated jig. So it's always on the list, but I I never, it, it feels like 
even whether I make one, it seems like too much time. Or if I buy one, it's not like a cool purchase. So I'm not ready to spend that money on that. You, you ever use corner clamps? I don't have any corner clamps. Oh, that's like one of my favorite clamps. Hmm. I mean, I like all sorts of clamps, but those are awesome, if for, especially for making mitered corners. To be able to hold them in that position, flat and forced into the you know, corner, so that there's glue contact, and they're super cheap. You can get, you know, obviously you need four of them to be useful, but you, I ha- end up having like I have nine or ten of them. Because anytime I'm doing a frame, it's like a frame for a box, and I'm going to have more than one box, so I have multiples that I'm, you know, doing at the same time. So I, I wouldn't necessarily buy the Harbor Freight smallest ones that you can buy. I have some of those, and they're fine. But if you step up with another brand to a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. the um, the spinning clamp part, the actual threaded part, will run smoother, and you'll end up being able to get a better squeeze on the pieces, which you have to have for them to stay forced into the corner. But those things are awesome. Sometimes um, when, I, when I've glued up frames, I've always, and I think I learned this from from a, a technique that Frank Haworth did, but he doesn't realize he he taught me this. But um, if you glue up both joints, you glue up like the upper left and the lower right, glue them separately with like a corner clamp, let them dry, and then you have two pieces to glue together <clears throat> as opposed to four pieces to glue together. Because Frank did that when he did a segmented bowl, like half and half. He's like, I glue these pieces together and then these, and then I have just literally 50-50 to glue together. And But you also face them all off on the sander if you have to. And then your joints will be nice and tight. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done that quite a bit when I use uh, tape to, to clamp it. I'll just tape to the ends, let them dry for an hour, and then tape the whole thing together. And it also kind of helps you see if, if your miters are not perfect and you can kind of finesse it with some sandpaper hmm cool oh this is unrelated but hang on just a second all right since last week i brought this up and i never explained oh i saw your i saw your instagram the r2d2 thing yeah okay so remember i don't did i I didn't show you what the problem was you talked about you said like the the corners were grabbing yeah, so like this panel, when you open this, it's rubbing down here. And I know people listening are not going to be able to understand what I'm talking about. So the panels on the top, they have a lot of play in them too. Yeah. Like that's not cool. It's like if you, and if I can so, visually explain it, it's like if you opened up a piece of pizza and then if you opened up a pizza pie and the, in the middle of the pizza domed up and then you had to open up each piece of pizza like a door <laughs> along the edge of the crust. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty that's good. A, there you go. And so yeah. the hinge is right it's in the middle like of the crust in the back. Yeah. So after talking about that, I spent all last week on the forums talking to uh, like different people who are awesome and super helpful. And somebody sent me a link to files for a new hinge that's supposed to work better. I printed out this hinge, took two hours to print. I hot glued it on. And look at this. Boop. Wow. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. So it was the hinge. In no time at all. It was the hardware. It wasn't necessarily your particular assemblage. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't me. Remember, I was kind of worried about it, me doing something wrong. It wasn't me. It was the hinge. And this other 3D printed hinge works flawlessly. And it has a servo mount on it so that I can automate it with the servo. (laughs) I don't have to worry about, like, coming up with that separately. So... Thanks to everybody who helped me with that because now this thing, this part of R2-D2 that's been like plaguing me for months has now just zoomed ahead. And I finished printing all the hinges this weekend. So I'm waiting on some hardware to show up and then this part of it's going to be able to just like jump ahead in time, which is really, really cool. Hmm. So anyway, I wanted to point that out since we talked about it Very cool. Didn't want to forget. One of my favorite tools is, is my Glowforge laser. I can... And I and I don't use it in like you don't see me use it in the videos a lot. But if I need to make a router template, I, in the past I'll say just cut out a circle and you can use the circle as a template. What I don't show is I cut out that circle on the laser because it takes minutes instead of trying to cut out a perfect yeah. circle or whatever. And it also, uh, I just have sheets of acrylic and, and plywood, small sheets laying around so I can test things and I can see the the size. I know it's a stupid expensive tool, but it really helps speed up some design process or just allows me to cut out something quickly that I don't want to spend a lot of time on machining or, or, you know, 
cutting on a table saw and, and shaping to shape. So the Glowforge laser, any laser in general, is just such a quick and easy way to to cut out difficult shapes. I and Glowforge has been upgrading their software. I mean, they they do it constantly because it's web based. But they just recently added where you can you can do add text and primitive shapes and stuff yeah. directly in the software, which is a something that they've needed from the beginning. Yes, but it is a huge leap forward in being able to make quick and simple things. You know, especially like cutting out a circle for a template or something to be able to just not have to go into Illustrator first and make the shape and then bring that into you know. Uh, I think that was a really smart move for them, and it made something I did recently which will be out in a couple of weeks, really simple to do. So, My and my, my full-spectrum laser has like a full web-based uh, design software. It's not the best. It's a little clunky, and they keep upgrading it. But when you're in there, you let's say you bring in text from Illustrator. But while you're in there, you could then put a circle around it or a square. You know, So there is the quick ability, and it works just like Illustrator. You just drag and marquee things and make different shapes and you can combine them and stuff. So that, that does have that quick ability, which to me, I just assumed was in every software. It's really the only laser software I've ever used. But uh, I remember using the first version, which was very, very complicated, but now they're on, they're on to like much more slicker versions of the software, <clears throat> but it is nice. And it just, just the concept of having a laser is unbelievable. It is between my laser and my plasma table, I say it's like having it's like having superhero special powers. Because <laughs> you could you know, and this is a whole nother topic and we've talked brought about it brought about it around it a bunch of different ways. But the idea of like let's say when people say, Oh, you didn't really do it, you just did the computer just did it. <clears throat> if I was gonna like laser cut out a letter, or if I was gonna bandsaw the letter. But when I bandsaw the letter, me as the operator, I'm happy with it, but it's not as perfect as I really want it. The viewer might say, oh, wow, that's so much skill. It's just eye-hand coordination, really. But when I can laser it, and it is exactly on the vector, for someone that loves vectors, that is like (laughs) the dream come true. So people see it. But it it just doesn't make for good visual. Like like my CNC video that I'm going to make about this mold, how do I make a 30 hour cut look interesting? Yeah. I, I just, I, I, I what I'm going to do is I'm going to spin a clock. So I cut to me putting the metal on the thing. And then I cut to a clock just spinning like, <laughs> like a cartoon, like crazy spinning yeah. clock. And then I cut back to me picking it off going, ah, ta-da. Yeah. But, I, I, over the years I've been asked like, do you prefer the laser or people will ask, what should I get a laser or a CNC? And for a long time, I'm like, they're two different tools. It really depends on what you, what you want to make. And that's still the case, but I find myself going to the laser far more than the CNC because there's a, there's always challenges with the CNC of clamping the material down or uh, it takes, it takes longer or it's messier. There's no mess with the laser. Mine exhaust right out uh, a dryer vent right out outside. So the labor, the neighbors can smell when I'm, when I'm cooking. (laughs) <laughs> the disgusting smells of what you're cooking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Acrylic and leather are absolutely terrible. Yeah, laser for sure. And the wood, wood, the wood burn burning doesn't smell like burnt wood. There's a different smell to it. So even the wood doesn't have a very good odor. It doesn't smell like a campfire for sure. <clears throat> well, uh, you guys got any other tools you want to talk about before we wrap it up? Mm, no, this is good. That's good. I'm good. Cool. Um, well, let's thank our Patreon supporters who help us out. Um, they are awesome. We're really grateful for everybody that helps us out at patreon.com slash making it. And everybody that does at any level gets the after show, which is more of us talking about different stuff and secret stuff. And I think Jimmy had something he was going to talk about today. Didn't you have something you were going to talk about? I forget, but I do have I something. I have a couple things to talk about. I think. Cool. Oh, he's got the trumpet out. Okay, cover your ears. <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I covered my ears, but I just pushed my AirPods more inside my ear to make it louder. So that was he dumb. wanted to hear more. Yeah, I wanted to hear more. Sorry, that's funny. Anyway, big thanks to our top supporters over there: Corey Ward, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, Maker and Training, Funkist Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks. You can make this too. Odin Leather Goods, Jenny and Davis, and Alwyn Woodworks. Thank you guys. Uh, if you want to help us out. 
go over to Patreon and do that. Or if you just want to go leave us a review on your podcast player place of choice, that'd be awesome. If you want to tell somebody that you love and cherish about our show and how it would affect mm. them, you could do that. Or you could tell somebody that you dislike. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Just tell somebody about the show. We would appreciate it. Yeah. What you got? Got anything cool to share? Recommend? I, I personally want to thank uh, I want to thank Lars Christensen, who I started a little conversation with this week through Instagram. Uh, Lars is the Fusion 360 teacher on Instagram. Uh, I mean, on YouTube. He hasn't been posting. I, I asked him, I was like, hope everything's okay. His last video was posted about eight months ago. He said, no, his job changed at Autodesk. But Lars has got an amazing cache of videos about Fusion 360. Yeah. He used to do a live stream every Friday. And I've watched quite a few of them. And they're all up. You could watch them now. And then also NYCNC or Saunders Machine Works. He has two names because when John started his YouTube channel, he was in New York City. So it was NYCNC. And now it's Saunders Machine Works. So either one of those names are interchangeable. And John is just unbelievable. I've gone to two classes at his place. And I hope to go to more in Zanesville, Ohio, where you, you sit in a lab and you learn on the computer. Then you take that file out to the to the shop and you run it on one of the Tormox, then uh it's just uh it's just amazing learning on both of those channels it's just like the learning never stops i really would like to go take john's classes and so I, it, good i've talked about it before but you you got i mean if you guys did like a package deal where all you went you you would really benefit from it you guys are really like you guys are very in line john's a great guy hmm cool Got David. I've got two. I've got uh, a podcast. I don't normally listen to podcasts, but I was a guest on a podcast called No Driving Gloves, and that should be <laughs> up by the time this episode comes out. And it was so fun talking about non-woodworking stuff. It's, this podcast is all about cars. Now, I'm not a car guy. When my car doesn't start, I just go trade it in and get a new one. It could be out of gas, <laughs> but if it doesn't start, I just go get a new one. Um, you know, with all that YouTube money. Wow. But uh, <laughs> <That's expensive. laughs> um, no, but it was great. We talked about go karts and and setups and um, my experience diving into to all this stuff and and uh, it was really it was just it was just so much fun talking to talk just not about woodworking stuff. So it was really cool. So hmm. check that out. And then I my, can't believe you're not a podcast guy. I listen to like twenty different podcasts every week. Like I constantly have podcasts playing in my ear constantly because i can't be alone with my own thoughts i get too scared so i have to have something (laughs) i'll tell you why i don't listen to podcasts it's i used to listen to like 20 different podcasts i used to spend a lot more time in a car now i rarely do but i got i got to a point where if i was missing an episode i got anxious and i'm like oh i'm four (laughs) episodes behind on podcasts this week and then i jump around i'm always jumping around and I was like, I don't, why, this is a dumb stress that I'm putting on myself. And I just stopped listening to podcasts all, all together. So um, I am listening to one podcast right now. It's the only one in my podcast app. And it's called um, Striped. It's the story of the White Stripes. And there's a couple seasons. And it's, it's really good. But I know some hmm. people that are on there. But anyway, my actual pick this week is a YouTube channel called Ziggy's Desk. And it's, a, um, it's all about putting toy models together like model cars and because i i recently got some models to put together that I thought maybe i'll do i'll do this in a video and this i started watching this guy's videos and it really discouraged me from <laughs> wanting to put models together because he's so <laughs> good and goes into crazy detail of how he paints like super light coats many coats and then he'll add the decals and then he'll do the finish. So he'll he'll coat it with a clear coat. He'll he'll sand it until it's super smooth. So there is no texture from the paint or all the stickers on there. Like it, it's just so they're so good. The videos are well done too. It's just kind of soothing to watch. And I can now understand why somebody might watch one of our videos and then be discouraged because of the details and the time that it takes to go into so maybe Hmm. watching some of these videos will help me make my own videos in the future to make sure that what we're doing is still approachable interesting yeah 
that's kind of a cool byproduct of finding something you like. Yeah. Huh. I was trying to find the name of that channel that I recommended a long time ago about the guy building models in stop motion. I can't remember what it was called. Oh. Oh, Tom's Tom's modeling in motion. Do you remember me talking about that? I don't. These videos are so cool. This guy makes uh, mostly plane models, really, really detailed plane models, but he does it all in stop motion. So you don't typically see his hands. You just see the model come together. <laughs> and these are, videos are unbelievable. Oh, They're yeah, this cool. is great. So it's not like an educational thing yeah. more than you just watch you know, watch it happen. And a lot of the, the parts that are put together, you never actually see when it's done. Like he'll show the assembly of this whole mo this, uh, whole engine of something. And you're like, wow, that must be like a big model. And then it zooms out and that whole engine was the size of your thumb. And then it goes on the inside of a plane and you never see it again. And it's all painted and detailed and yeah, super cool. I'll put a link to his stuff as well. He doesn't do videos very often, but that's probably because uh, they take forever to make. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Um, okay. So I have one from uh, at Maker Fair last year. We met Kurt. Do you remember Kurt with the big, awesome, crazy beard? Uh, yeah. Super Kurt. Um, Kurt made a video back then, and it was his first. <laughs> Jimmy's looking at this. Like, it was full of people big, with big beard. beards. <laughs> well, like a gigantic beard like oh. kind of epic beard oh, okay oh yeah anyway oh, he, he okay. had just finished a video at the time of making a, a loom a computerized loom yeah and so he made his first video about the loom and we talked about it on here and he just finished his second video the other day and he sent it over and it's really good it's uh making uh casting metal parts from a 3d print so it's doing sand <laughs> casting and pouring in molten Aluminum, which is really weird because a couple of days before he sent that, I was trying to think about, I have a project I want to do that would require casting aluminum or something like that, probably aluminum. And I was like, oh, I should start to look into how to do that or, you know, what, what tools I need. I need some sort of a little furnace that can melt it and I have to get like a crucible and, you know, edit. I'll have to figure that out. And then he sent over his video on how to do it. It's really cool. So he made a 3D printed... Um, shape and then made a mold for it, cast some aluminum and then used that to make this a little type of food. It's like a funnel cake type thing where you take a metal thing and you dip it in batter and then you fry that really quickly. I don't know what, the, what it was called, but <laughs> it's a good video. It's funny and um, he does a good job at like making a creative kind of fun video out of it. So go check that out. And he listens to the show. So Hello. Hey, Kurt. Hello. All right. I think that's it. You guys got anything else? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll take that as no's. Mm -hmm. I had something, but I forgot. <laughs> okay. You can tell it in the after show. Oh, All right. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, everybody. See you next time. See ya. One, four, three. There's a puzzle. Everyone figure that one out.